Thank you for joining us on If She Can Do It, So Can You. My name is Amanda Creasy, and I am your host. On If She Can Do It, So Can You, we aim to air a new episode on the first of every month so that we can share with you women's wisdom, wit, and grit in an empowering and inspirational podcast. I'm glad that you're here to listen as I talk to women about their trials and their triumphs while they share their stories of challenges they've overcome, barriers they've broken, stereotypes they have silenced, and dreams that they have achieved. My goal is that through each episode, you will be able to find your own strength, healing, and motivation through their success stories. Because if she can do it, so can you. Our guest today on If She Can Do It, So Can You is Tamsin Kingry. As the CEO of the Richmond SPCA, Tamsin oversees the development of the Richmond SPCA short-term and long-term strategies to achieve maximum life saving. Before being named CEO in 2019, Tamsin was the COO for 12 years, and in that capacity oversaw operational development, design analysis, evaluation and improvement, regulatory compliance, emergency preparedness, community relationship building, fundraising, communications, and program and service delivery. She is passionate about developing innovative programming to proactively reduce pet homelessness and engaging in crucial advocacy to save and protect the lives of animals. Tamsin earned her bachelor's degree in communication from Virginia Commonwealth University and completed the Strategic Perspectives in Nonprofit Management course within the Executive Education Program at Harvard Business School. Tamsin joined the staff of the Richmond SPCA in 2002. When she's not busy working alongside the Richmond SPCA's talented and dedicated staff, board, and volunteers, Tamsin enjoys spending time with her husband and daughter, as well as their two cats and two dogs, all of whom they adopted from the Richmond SPCA. Welcome, Tamsin. Aw, thank you, Amanda. It's so good to be with you. Yeah, I'm really happy that you were able to be a guest on this podcast. My husband and I adopted our two dogs, Nacho and Soda, from there. They're actually chewing some no hides in the background. I don't know if you can hear the gnawing, but they're... I can't, but I'm glad to know that they're there. (laughs) Yes, they're with me everywhere all the time. Um, And, you know, my dog Jack took a bunch of agility courses at the SPCA and Sadie came and did a book signing there. And so the organization really important to us. Thank you. And I know you all have volunteered for us, which I'm very grateful for. And then I also very fondly recall that wonderful story you submitted to the Petco Foundation, uh, which earned a grant for the Richmond SPCA, your adoption tales. Yeah, that was was so exciting. I was really honored when you all asked me to do that. It was one of the most fun writing assignments I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Well, it was a very compelling story and we're grateful to you for it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, since we both clearly love our pets, I figured we could yes. start there. Um, you have two dogs and two cats that you adopt. I do. So I, do. I do. So uh, my most recent addition is a dog named Bart, who looks very much like my um, other dog, Maggie. Um, so they're both mutts. Bart is about one years old or one year old. And I would estimate that Maggie is probably closer to five. And then I have two cats, Jeff and Fitz, who are both uh, probably about 11 and 12. And so I have a full house um, and I'm in love with every one of them. They're wonderful additions to our family and grateful to have their love. 
Yeah, I feel like any creature with fur makes a house so much homier. Yes, that that is true. My my most recent adoptee, Bart, uh, who is still a bit of a puppy, the other day my husband came home and he'd been gone for quite a number of hours. It was probably the longest stretch of time that Bart had been left alone. And when Tony got home, he he the the front room. Bart had accumulated every couch cushion, every pillow, every blanket, every coat, every stuffed animal belonging to my daughter, anything he could find. And he just piled it and made a fort in the front room. He didn't destroy anything. He just collected it all and left it there. And Tony was kind of just surveying the scene, like what in the world happened? And then he looks up and Bart is descending the staircase, carrying a sham from our bed, adding to his pile. So it all smelled like you guys. <laughs> Maybe. I will collect all the things that smell like my family into yes. a pile. <laughs> he did. Amazing. He did. Yeah. Aww. And then Maggie, she is the dog pictured in some of the photos that you sent, correct? Yes. Yes. So, so Maggie is truly one of the world's most perfect dogs. She is so loving, so gentle. She is just perfection. She's wonderful in every way. And I just adore her as I do Bart and my other two. Yeah. Um, too. But there, you know, there are, you know, you just, sometimes you have a special bond with, with, yeah. Them. Yeah. How did you know that these dogs and cats were the ones for you? Cause I imagine working in the capacity you do <laughs> see a yeah. lot of, I mean, <laughs> I would be, you're no kill, which is nice. Yes. But I mean, yes. even still, I feel like I'd be tempted to have a menagerie if I yes. were there. <laughs> yes. I, working at a, a no kill humane organization like the Richmond SPCA, I know that all of the pets in our care are going to go to, you know, loving, lasting homes. So that brings me um, great comfort as it does the rest of our team. Um, I would, I would say you, you do recognize when you hit your own limit and when your house, um, and maybe for me, four, two cats and two dogs is probably my current limit. But my first two cats, I mean, my, my two cats, um, I, I fostered both of them as mm -hmm. bottle babies. So I, I'm what we, I don't know why this term is used in our field. They call it being a foster failure, although yeah. I would say it's much more a success than it is that anyone has failed. But um, I, I just fell in love with them and I couldn't, I couldn't return them. And so I adopted both of them as little tiny, um, kittens. And that was more than 10 years ago. And then, um, we had, my family had two dogs who passed away in about a year of one another. Both of them were 15 and 16. And I was waiting a little bit before we adopted another dog. I was the, my former dog had passed away in September. I was thinking I was probably going to wait until sometime after the holiday season. But then Carly Squeo, our senior director of shelter operations, came to my office door one day and she said, I, there's a dog downstairs that you've just got to come meet. And I said, oh, gosh, you know, oh, I want to, but we're not quite ready yet. And she said, just come and meet her. So I went down and I met Maggie and instantly fell in love with her. And so you know, the rest is history. Took her home for a couple of days uh, to foster her and she stayed permanently. She just immediately fit right in. Um, and then Bart, um, our uh, senior manager of the adoption center, Tommy texted me his photograph one day and he said, does 
he look like, or does he look familiar to you? Does he remind you of anyone? And of course he reminded me a lot of Maggie. They have kind of a wrinkly um, face similar to one another. And so I thought, oh shoot, I gotta go. I got to go meet him. And then I called a couple friends who I knew were looking for dogs to see if one of them might be interested in adopting Bart. And um, they weren't quite ready. And so similarly, the rest is history. I said, oh, I'll just take him home for a couple of days and couldn't bring him back. He was fit in perfectly too. So that that's my group of, that's, that's my group of four-leggeds. I love that. And the foster fail term, I'm, I think we need to start calling it like foster to forever. It just, yes, it just melted exactly forever. Right. It wasn't a failure. No, it, it's, it's the complete opposite of a failure. In fact, yeah, I'm always very grateful when our foster providers and we have hundreds of them when they end up adopting their charges. I think that's yeah. a wonderful thing. It is wonderful. Speaking of Tommy, we we always talk about, or I shouldn't say always, we often talk about how grateful we are to him because when we came to meet Soda, um, he mentioned to us that she had a brother. Yes. And yeah. If he hadn't mentioned that, I mean, I had actually seen Nacho the same night that I saw Soda, but because they had just been fixed, they were in separate kennels. So I didn't right. realize there was a connection. Um, and Nacho was like knocked out. Like I could only see right. him from the shoulders down. He was just, he was out. Um, and, but as soon as Tommy said, she has a brother, I looked at my husband, Maddie, and I was like, I know what dog that is. I know exactly what dog he's going to bring in here. Um, and it was clear that they, you know, they belong together. And if, you know, I never would have thought to ask myself. So we're always so glad that Tommy mentioned that to us. Absolutely. Tommy is wonderful as is our entire adoption team. And he just has a knack for knowing kind of what those perfect matches are going to be. Yes. Yeah. We're a testament to that for sure. Mm -hmm. Although I think Soda really knew she, um, she picked us and we were kind of like you, we didn't have a, we had just lost Jack a month before and we didn't know it at the time, but Sadie only had a month left with us. Um, And she was clearly grieving and we didn't feel like it was the right time. And we inquired about Soda and then you, well, you know, the whole story. Um, and then just days after Sadie passed, she became available. It was like, everything just falls into place when it's right. Yeah. You don't really believe in coincidences. No, you can't Mm -hmm. with situations like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mentioned that Maggie was in some of the photos that I'll be sharing with listeners, but another photo that you sent is a picture of you and it's terrifying to me (laughs) because I'm afraid of height. Me too. (laughs) Well, I'm like, gosh, she looks awful happy for the context of the photo, but it looks like you are about to bungee jump off of a very tall building in Richmond. So can you uh, fill us in on what that was all about? Sure. So um, similar to you, that that was also something that I thought was going to be quite terrifying. It turns out it, it wasn't nearly as terrifying as it looked, and it was actually one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. But the Richmond SPCA hosted a fundraiser for the first time this year, and it was called Over the Edge. And the idea was that you were going over the edge to support dogs and cats in the care of the Richmond SPCA. And we partnered with Dominion Energy, who of course has that new beautiful all glass building downtown at 600 Canal Place. And we had 81 people um, register to participate in the event and each one raised $1,000 for the opportunity to repel down the side of that building. And so I was one of those 80 
one participants who raised the funds to um, have that opportunity. And I raised them from friends and family to whom I'm very grateful. And um, I wasn't the only employee of the Richmond SPCA who participated. We had lots of staff members who did it, as well as tons of amazing um, animal advocates and supporters throughout the Richmond community. But yes, so we we repelled two at a time over two days on a Friday and Saturday in August down the Dominion Energy building. Wow. And it was amazing. I'm sure. I mean, I've been, I've talked to a few of my guests about this phenomenon where the things that scare us the most often end up being the things we're so glad that yeah. we did ultimately. It is true. I just felt this kind of generalized sense of anxiety all week. And as the yeah. event approached, I got more and more anxious about it. And then I said to everybody, your, your whole body is telling you, oh no, you're not supposed to do this. Do not put your legs over <laughs> that edge. <laughs> no, yeah, you're not supposed to do this. Um, uh, but you know, you you do it. You, I felt perfectly comfortable. There were tons of experts who were, you know, overseeing the whole process. I had every bit of confidence that it was all going to go swimmingly, and it was the one of, as I said, the coolest, most interesting experiences of my life. I have to say, the skyline from that vantage point is amazing. And um, so we did the inaugural event this year, but anybody who's listening to this who goes, oh, I want to rappel down the side of that building, you'll get your chance next September. Um, the Richmond SPCA is bringing the event back. So. Oh, that's great. It must have been successful then. Mm -hmm. It was. Wow. Uh, we raised, um, I think, more than $100,000. Um, uh, well, yes, yeah, 81 of you did at mm -hmm. least 1000 That's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like I would be somebody who would raise the money and then be like, I will gift my experience to <laughs> some people said I would pay a thousand dollars or raise a thousand dollars not to have to go over the side. <laughs> exactly. To not have to do that terrifying thing. I right. or I would try to do it and I'm reasonably sure I would get up there and just be in tears. Like, never mind, never mind. <laughs> I changed you know, my life. A, lot, a lot of people said that, but then that was just not the experience when once you got up there. And I really do think it had so much to do with you know, we had people doing this who do this for a living, obviously. Right. And you just got up there and they gave you plenty of training before you go over. I just had, I felt extremely confident in the whole thing. You look very confident in the photo. You definitely, oh, well, you're nice. You're hundreds of feet above the city, except for we can see that you are. <laughs> right. Right. So, oh, and for anyone listening who maybe this is your first time uh, catching an episode, the city we're talking about is Richmond, Virginia, um, Richmond SPCA in Richmond, Virginia. Side note, several yeah. years ago, I really wanted to do a soup kitchen. Like I wanted to volunteer at a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving mm -hmm. or around Thanksgiving time. And I found one and I registered. I was so excited. And like the day before Thanksgiving, I got an email from this group. And I realized I had registered to participate in this volunteer event in Richmond, British Columbia. Yes. Um, Do you know, we have people reach out to us quite frequently, actually, who, who get us confused with um, the Richmond SPCA um, yeah. in British Columbia. And there's also a Richmond, California, but um, and a Richmond, Texas, I think. So we do occasionally have to call folks back and be like, we just want to verify. Did you mean to reach out to the Richmond SPCA? And right. they're like, oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was I was amused and disappointed. But I have family in Richmond, California, actually, and there's a Richmond, Michigan. Um, oh, how about I also that? have family, so lots of Richmonds. The one we're talking about is right, Virginia. Right. Um, so in your bio, we talked a little bit, or I talked a little bit about what your job entails. Mm -hmm. um, what is 
a day in the life of the Richmond SPCA COO like? What's your typical work day look like? Um, okay, so in my prior role as COO. Um, oh, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's right. Oh, do, do you want me to do COO? Do them both. Do CEO because you just became the CEO within two years, so it's fairly new still. Yes. So as the COO, I was primarily responsible for sort of helping to execute the strategies of the Richmond SPCA, and obviously we're a very operationally intensive um, organization. We provide daily animal care to usually an average about 300 to 350 homeless dogs and cats a day. Um, So I would work directly with our um, animal care team. That's the team who takes care of the animals on a daily basis with our internal veterinary services department, which delivers medical care to all of the pets in the care of the Richmond SPCA. And of the roughly 4,000 homeless animals that we care for every year, uh, well in excess of 75% of them are sick or injured. And so they need more extensive medical treatment before we can find them. Uh, lasting homes in the community. Um, work with our training department, who are trainers who um, help, you know, pets in our care, both dogs and cats who may have some behavioral challenges, or they may that we need to help them overcome, or at least uh, successfully manage before we can place them with new families. Um, or they're providing just general enrichment, understanding that you know at being in a shelter can be a stressful environment. And so it's our job to make pets temporary stay with us as comfortable and as stress-free as we possibly can. It helps them stay well, both physically and mentally and helps them get adopted more quickly. Um, I work with our, uh, in my role as COO, I worked very closely with our communications team and our development office. So that's the team of folks who are raising crucial resources in order for the Richmond SPCA to be able to effectively deliver our mission. Um, And I worked with our admissions team who brought the animals into our care. Um, The overwhelming majority of pets in the care of the Richmond SPCA are ones that we transfer from government shelters uh, where their lives may be at risk. Um, And we have, we maintain about 70 transfer partnerships across the state of Virginia. And then we have relationships with organizations outside of Virginia as well. And then of course, the most one of the most visible things that we do is pet adoption. So we bring the animals in, we get them well, we take care of them. Um, we deliver enrichment programs to them. And then ultimately our goal is that we need to find them loving homes in this community, which the adoptions team does. And then um, the other department that I worked really closely with is the COO was our veterinary hospital. So the Richmond SPCA provides, um, we're the, the only full service, uh, low cost veterinary hospital for pets belonging to guardians in, the, in central Virginia, largely greater Richmond area. And um, we see about anywhere from nine to 12,000 patients a year wow. through that department. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, that's a, a, a lot of really important life-saving things going on here. Yeah. How does your um, current role differ from the role that you were in as COO? I would say that I've, I've largely transitioned from sort of executing our strategies to, to setting our strategies and setting our vision so that we can be as mission-effective um, as an organization as we possibly can. So I'm focused on strategic planning efforts. I work really closely, obviously, with our board of directors, and we have a dynamite board of directors um, 
really dedicated, generous folks who provide excellent leadership to this organization and, and have since our founding in 1891. Um, so I would say that's maybe the, the difference between, you know, my very operational uh, or being very focused operationally to now, you know, more focused on the, the big picture. So your job, you know, sounds like it, it's very demanding probably on your energy and your time and I would think in this particular organization, sometimes your emotions too, when you see animals come in who've been abused or neglected, mm -hmm. um, and then you have your own family and your own pets to take care of. And I know recently you were very busy with budget stuff and you had your annual meeting and you were, you know, executing the fur ball. And, um, I feel like nowadays, especially maybe with the pandemic, uh, still looming a little bit, there's a lot of talk about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. um, and finding that healthy balance. How do you manage your work life with your personal life? If I'm being perfectly honest, I've probably not always been the best at, <laughs> um, I, I could lie and tell you that I'm an excellent, um, I, I'm excellent at balancing my work and my personal life. Uh, the fact of the matter is I'm probably not as good at that as I should be, but I recognize how crucially important it is, and it is something that I very much want for our team members to have. Um, you know, as you said, this is uh, challenging work. It's both very physically taxing a lot of time, but it can be very emotionally taxing as well. And there's a lot of highly empathic folks who work here. I think our, our work attracts highly empathic um, people, which is a very good thing because it means that they're compassionate and understanding and that they are dedicated to service and wanting to help others, uh, both the pets in our care, but also the people who love our who love their animals and um, or who, who love other people's animals. Um, but sometimes, you know, in doing that and taking on that caretaker role, they maybe spend less time focused on um, their own wellness. And so that's something we as an organization are are focused on um, encouraging that, you know, we recognize that the work is very hard and the work that our team members do is extremely taxing and we, we desperately want for them to achieve a good work-life balance so that they can um, continue continue doing the wonderful work that they do. Yes, this is my office kitty, Vivi, who has made oh, a, a, an appearance. Oh, I thought I heard a little meow and I glanced up and there she was. Yes, she she was adopted from the Richmond SPCA more than 10 years ago, and her um, owner is currently living in an assisted living facility, and I think oh. she's close close to 100 years old, and wow. um, she she was not any longer able to provide um, for Vivi's daily care, and so she wanted very much for us to be able to find her um another wonderful home which we told her we would absolutely do so while Vivi's awaiting adoption she's hanging out with me in um, my office I love that yeah when I was sometimes in the development office volunteering and there are always different dogs or cats in there and I loved that mm -hmm. um so one of the best perks of working here actually is that you can bring your your dogs to the office with you and some of some of our staff bring their cats too although cats tend to not enjoy coming as much but you know there's the there's the um exception to the rule there are some kitties who like to travel yeah oh I do love that that's that's one thing I am a high school English teacher by day and um I always wish that I could bring my dogs to work and last year we were at home for part of the year uh because of the pandemic and 
Nacho had one spot next to me and Soda had the other, which is where they are mm-hmm. right now. And uh, it's really cute if I ever, they got in such a good routine with that, that whenever I come upstairs, they go right to their spots. So they're like, oh, <laughs> I say, they're like, oh, it's work from home day. Like this is yeah. what we're doing today. I know they make the best office companions. They really them. do. They really do. Um, so speaking of, you know, your concerns and your priority of making sure that your employees and your volunteers have good work-life balance, I hear a lot um, these days about compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, in in healthcare providers and vets and counselors and teachers and clergy and um, what can you speak to that at all or mm-hmm. yeah so compassion fatigue or sometimes it's it's positioned as compassion resilience or what you want to develop or hope to develop is compassion resilience so that you can recognize moments at which you are feeling burned out from from doing that caretaker role. And as you said, it, it oftentimes is something that afflicts those who work in healthcare settings, but it also is very common among those who work in the animal welfare field. And um, that's true of our staff members too. And it's crucially important to recognize when you find yourself becoming fatigued by your caretaker role and identifying proactively when you're getting to that place so that you can, you know, be doing things to improve your own wellness and to set appropriate boundaries so that you can protect um, and prioritize your mental health. Um, And compassion fatigue is something that the Richmond SPCA invests in um, training and offering resources to our team members, recognizing that this is a common um, thing for for staff members uh, to be dealing with. I think that's great that you guys do that because those roles you know, I'm a teacher, for example, and parents will say, you know, I want my kids' teachers to love their job and so that they can mm-hmm. love my students. And I feel the same way about my vets, for example. I want mm-hmm. them to be mentally and emotionally healthy because I want them to be able to love my dogs and really be invested. But, but I do completely understand. I volunteered at Richmond Animal League for about yeah. five years, several years yeah. ago, and I never felt like I experienced compassion fatigue myself, but you know, I was only there once a week and for two hours. And I can see how that would be something that could be really taxing. And you would almost become just desensitized if you didn't have tools to make sure you didn't just become desensitized. Yeah. And I think, you know, in this field, we see the the best of people, but we also sometimes can see the worst of people. And, you know, it's, it's important to be able to, um, you know, have the tools to, to deal with the things, you know, the challenging things that we're confronted with on a daily basis, especially our team members who, you know, are, are working directly with um, members of the community to, to, to deliver the mission critical services of the organization. Yeah, I can imagine that being on that front lines like that could be very taxing on a daily basis. Yeah. It's hard to see animals suffering and sick and, you know, struggling to know what exactly you can do. Um, uh, to help. And sometimes people feel, um, you know, o- overwhelmed by the quantity and the difficulty of uh, what you're being confronted with. And, and um, to your point, when you're talking about teachers or veterinarians or, you know, anyone who's working in a caretaker role, you, you recognize that people really do need to effectively be able to take care of and prioritize themselves in order to be able to take care of others. Yeah, you hear a lot now, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. <laughs> you got to put your oxygen mask on first. All first, this. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, well, switching gears a little bit to something maybe a little bit lighter, um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the signature events like the furball and oh, yeah. the jog and other initiatives that you guys put on? Sure. Well, I'll start with the with the event we just hosted. Oh gosh, it, the months already flying by. It's what November. I think we're recording this on no, in the middle of November. So our event was on Saturday, November sixth, and it was the twenty third annual furball. And the furball is, I know it's kind of a a, a funny. Um, name, but it obviously is very apropos to what we do. Um, it, it is an annual gathering at the Jefferson Hotel, and we normally have in excess of 400 people who attend, but due to COVID, we obviously put in place a lot of important safety uh, precautions to keep everybody safe this year. So we required that everybody be fully vaccinated and provide proof of vaccine, but we also decreased capacity in the ballroom. Um, so we had about 60% the number of guests that we normally do. Um, but it's a wonderful event held at the Jefferson Hotel. It features a cocktail reception. We have what we call a parade of pets, which people who purchase a ticket to come to the furball, they can similarly purchase a ticket for their pet to attend the event with them. And if they bring their dog or cat, and I think one year we actually had a burrow attend the event. Oh, yeah. um, yes, then you can descend the stairs during the annual parade and you have your image broadcast on jumbo screens adjacent to the staircase. Well, Greg McQuaid, who is a wonderful friend of ours and a reporter for CBS 6, he kind of tells the crowd about you and introduces your pet to them and share some fun facts about your dog or your cat while you descend the staircase. And it's just super fun. Um, folks can bid on a silent auction. They have a seated dinner. Uh, we have a short program. We present our organization's annual Glasgow Award, which recognizes somebody who's done exemplary uh, work to support our, the mission of the Richmond SPCA. And then we have a live auction. So it's a really fun, spirited, great event that raises crucial funds for our Cinderella Fund. And that's the pool of resources that we draw from in order to treat sick and injured homeless animals in our care. We raise about $650,000 a year wow. um, for that event. So it's really important. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is really fun. Yes. If you haven't, if you haven't come, you should definitely um, join us. It's, yeah, it's a, I, I never time. have, but it it sounds like I need to. What are they just um, out of curiosity for my own planning purposes? Yeah. What do people who bring their dogs or cats or burrows right. <laughs> do with them during the dinner and the auction? Well, so that's a very good question. We have pet escorts um, assigned to each pet who is attending. So when you arrive and you check in at registration, if you've brought your pet with you, then you get introduced to your escort and then your escort will you know take wonderful care of your pet for any portion of the evening that um you would like to hand your pet over to have a good time with the volunteer so but some people choose to keep their pets with them um in the dining room and they'll just you know sit at their feet while everybody um is eating dinner and then you see lots of pets and laps during the live auction it's it's really fun yeah, it sounds like it. I'm going to have to, do you know when the, uh, I know it's a year out now, but I'm sure you guys do plan quite a bit ahead. Do you know when the 2022 furball is scheduled? Yes, it's November 5th at the Jefferson yeah. Hotel. Yep. And we have an awesome group of um, committee members uh, who spearhead that effort and a, 
and very talented manager of events, Lori Mavica, and coordinator of events, Janae Jones, who, who um, work really hard on that every year. Yeah, I'm going to have to put that on my calendar. Nacho and soda would be spectacular. Yes, <laughs> I, I feel like I could see them wearing something, you know, just something yes. Yes. to draw a little extra attention as they descend the stairs. That would be good. Be amazed how much attention they just get in life. Like, oh, well, they're so cute. I know. They're yeah, of course. Of course. I'm a little biased, but they are. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've, I've seen them and they're really adorable. So. <laughs> <laughs> so a somewhat upcoming event in the spring is the dog jog yes. yes so we host that event every March I think this year um, we're targeting Saturday March 26th and that is an occasion for we usually have about a thousand folks come together we have a sanctioned 5k race that uh, runners can participate in kind of first thing in the morning and then that's followed by a more leisurely one mile dog jog for people and their dogs and I have to say it's incredible we usually have somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 dogs who register to participate with their families and you know that may be a single person from the family who accompanies their dog or it could be you know a family of four or five so there's just lots of folks and they just take up all a permitage road. It is just a sea of people and their dogs. And it's just super cool um, to watch. And then we have a vendor fair uh, in the parking lots at the Richmond SPCA. And so we've got music and food trucks and activities for kids and giveaways from vendors and contests and awards and prizes. And it's just a really fun time. And then Folks who register to participate in the event, they have the option if they wish of raising um, pledges of support for the Richmond SPCA. So there's lots of peer-to-peer -peer fundraising that goes on and, and participants raise uh, many thousands of dollars to support the life-saving uh, work of the Richmond SPCA, for which we're very grateful. Yeah, I have done that event a handful of times. I've run the 5K and then once or twice we took Jack and Sadie and then did the dog jog. My mom came and brought her pug. Oh, fun. Yeah, it really is fun. That event is just, it's a lot of fun. One year we did it in the pouring rain and it was still fun. So yes. Oh, well, thank you. And of course, during, um, or last year we did the event, well, for the last two years, actually, we did the event virtually um, right. in light of the pandemic, but we're very hopeful that this year we can be uh, back to doing it in person at the Richmond SPCA. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that is several months out. So hopefully by then things will be even more improved. And yeah, and even if we are able to do it in person, which we hope, which we're very hopeful that we can, we did learn during the pandemic that a lot of folks do like to participate virtually. And it gives people in other parts of the country who want to support the work of the Richmond SPCA, but previously hadn't been able to join us in person. Um, it, it gives them an opportunity to participate. So we'll continue to offer a virtual option in the future. That's great. So be like a hybrid event. <laughs> yes. Last year we had folks in um, England participate. Uh, we had, you know, participants in California and Florida and New York and Pennsylvania. And so it, it, it was a fun time for folks all over. Yeah. All those people in Richmond, California. Richmond, yeah. <laughs> exactly. This was their opportunity. To, right. Yes. This time they could play too. This time you actually really are doing something. Yeah. Or <laughs> trying to research and yeah. <laughs> Um, So I know a little bit about this just from, you know, reading through your information, but our listeners probably don't. How did you get started in your career at the Richmond SPCA? What made you want to work oh. there? 
Oh gosh. Um, I just, the whole thing was kind of serendipitous really. I, I was set to graduate from um, VCU, as you mentioned earlier in reading my bio. Um, and I, I needed one more uh, internship actually before I could graduate from school as a requirement of the School of Mass Communications, which is where I earned my degree. And I'd done an internship already out at Warner Brothers in California, which was a really cool experience. And then I, I needed one more. And I had had a professor at VCU um, who had recently left the university to go be the chief development officer at the Richmond SBCA. And he was aware I was looking for an internship. So he said to me, have you thought about nonprofit work at all? Might you like to do an internship at the Richmond SBCA? And I thought, oh, that would be really cool. I hadn't thought about it. I probably at the time had thought I might want to do agency work or corporate PR. I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about nonprofit. I don't know why, but I hadn't. Um, and so I went to intern at the Richmond SBCA and just had an awesome time. It was such a cool, exciting time to to work at the Richmond SPCA and to intern at the Richmond SPCA. The year was 2002, which was the same year the Richmond SPCA became No Kill. And when we moved into the Richmond SPCA's Robin Star Humane Center, so there was just a lot of transition, a lot of exciting things happening, uh, kind of a new era of animal welfare being ushered into the community. And, um, and so I started interning here and then I, you know, it was just really fortunate that the community relations manager who had been at the Richmond SPCA at the time, um, she left the Richmond SPCA. She and her husband were moving to Atlanta, Georgia, and her position became um, open. And I was just in the right place at the right time, was very lucky to be hired just, you know, a few weeks before graduating from college. And then I have been here ever since. So almost 20 years. It was meant to be. I, I believe that with my whole heart. So 20 years is pretty impressive, almost two decades. What, what has kept you there? Uh, the, the mission, the people, the animals. Uh, you know, I, I, we have such an amazing, dedicated, talented, creative, enthusiastic team of people who work here. And um, I consider it a, a my just a huge privilege to be able to work with them every day and to learn from them and to learn with them um, and to work alongside each other. It has been just an absolute honor and a pleasure for two decades. Um, you know, obviously I'm a, a huge animal lover. I'm dedicated wholeheartedly to the mission of the Richmond SPCA and believe it very deeply. Um, I, I see the amazing work that goes on here. I see what we're capable of accomplishing with the resources that the community very generously provides to us. Um, and I know we're making a huge difference and that we can continue to make a huge difference um, and that we can continue to innovate within the field and save the lives of animals and improve their prospects for the future. Um, so I would say that that has certainly kept me here. What would you say are some of the most rewarding aspects of your job? Mm. Um, you know, I, I would say the, the most rewarding are probably watching us identify problems and, you know, obviously very generally speaking, 
pet homelessness, um, but finding innovative ways to resolve pet homelessness, to build a more humane community, to impress upon the public the individual role we all have and um, guaranteeing futures to homeless animals, to making this a safer place for, for animals to, um, to be, to providing the resources that the public needs to be able to keep pets in homes and and out of shelters. So I would say, you know, our ability to solve a problem um, creatively and innovatively um, to offer or to develop programs and services that we know are making a difference here in this community and that may be being replicated in other communities across the country. That's incredibly rewarding. And then, you know, just every time you see a pet come in here who, you know, may be sick or injured, the pet may have had, you know, a, a, a pretty miserable existence um, before coming to the Richmond SPCA. And then just watching that pet over time get better and thrive and preparing that pet for adoption to somebody's home and, and, and knowing that that pet's life is going to be, you know, improved dramatically and that he or she is going to dramatically improve the life of the person lucky enough to love them. So um, you know, I, I, I think those are really rewarding aspects of our work. And of course, if I ask you what the most rewarding thing is, I have to ask the other side. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are some of the most challenging aspects of the work you do? I think it's still challenging. You know, I, I think a lot of progress has been made over the last, you know, more than two decades to, um, you know, I said earlier, it's important, and, and we've been working really hard because we recognize that that the best way to resolve pet homelessness is to create a humane community, and and that's a community that doesn't treat its pets as disposable, that mm -hmm. recognizes the individual responsibility we all have to the animals who inhabit this earth, and you know that when we bring a pet into our lives, it's our responsibility to provide care to that animal and to do it responsibly. And that we all have a role in preventing pets from becoming homeless and, and certainly from losing their lives in animal shelters. And the Richmond SPCA is dedicated to assuring that they aren't losing their lives in um, animal shelters. Um, but you, you still are confronted with occasions where people haven't done the right thing um, and have treated a pet poorly and you see the consequences of that and the animals that we're providing care to. Um, and that's hard, but it's also deeply motivating because you recognize that there's more education for us to be delivering. There's you know better ways for us to be targeting our programming so that we can work with members of the community and 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 make this um, the best community we can to protect and save the lives of the animals we all love. Yeah, so I guess some of the things that are the most challenging are also the things that make the mission relevant. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Just demonstrates we still have more progress that, that can be made and we're dedicated to making it. Job security. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I, in, in a perfect world, um, you know, that there, there, there would be no homeless animals. We'd be successful in preventing them from becoming homeless. And the field and the Richmond SPCA has certainly made a lot of progress toward that. And there's many, 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 many fewer homeless animals dying in animal shelters across the country compared to 
you know, more than 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. And, um, you know, I, I think the future of animal welfare is, is certainly creating full service resource centers like the Richmond SPCA is and that making continual investments and in programs of pet retention designed to keep pets in homes and out of shelter because uh, out of shelters because you know obviously while adopting animals to loving homes is crucially important you you want there to be fewer um homeless animals obviously yeah um so so it's our mission to keep them in the homes that they have and to provide the resources and the tools folks need to make that happen yeah and i guess you know when you say 20 years that you've been in a position sounds like a long time but when you talk about the progress that has been made in 20 years, really a lot, we have come a very long way mm. in, in a relatively short time. Yes, and, and I will say I had an amazing mentor in Robin Starr, who was my predecessor in the role of CEO at the Richmond SPCA. She joined the organization in the late 90s and led its strategic planning effort along with the board at that time. And 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 her work and the vision and her vision and that the the board, you know, I, there were a lot more animals dying throughout the Richmond community back in the late 90s. And she and the board were not willing to accept that that had to be the way that it was. And they were dedicated to finding um, a different path forward, something that prevented pets from becoming homeless in the first place and was dedicated to saving their lives and not taking their lives simply because there were too many of them. And, um, you know, we've been building uh, upon that crucial work that they did in the late 90s and Robin continued to do until she retired uh, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I think it sounds like there's been a big shift of perspective, maybe not necessarily within just the organization, but within that field in general, sort of a more proactive stance. Yeah, absolutely. And and the no-kill philosophy is one that that certainly has become pervasive within the field mm -hmm. of animal welfare. I would say, you know, there are many communities across the country dedicated to assuring that all healthy and treatable homeless animals that that they find uh, homes through adoption, that they're not losing their lives in animal shelters. You mentioned before this interview that the pandemic started to really hit hit our area hard about six months after you took on the role as CEO. Mm -hmm. um, that must have been personally quite challenging to be in this mm -hmm. brand new position and then have this new unprecedented thing happening where there was really no guideline, there was no path that you could follow mm -hmm. and you kind of had to navigate it yourself. How did you manage that? Oh gosh, I mean, with, with just this, amazing, talented group of people that I work with and with our, you know, board's excellent leadership too. I, yes, there were a lot of things that I anticipated would, would be challenging. There were, that would be challenges upon becoming the CEO, but uh, predicting a pandemic <laughs> within six months was not something I had um, anticipated, but, you know, I, I think that in looking back at it, it you know, it was about 18 months ago now, it was probably, I mean, it wasn't a good thing to have happen, obviously, but but I think it it was certainly something that our team quickly rallied around and came to 
together to confront and and overcome. And um, I think we just had a, a deep sense of uh, knowing. It, I mean, it was it, it's been extremely challenging uh, the entire time, obviously. But but I think we were able to maintain a, a deep sense of optimism through throughout the crisis, even though it's been so protracted. And I think. You know, we we knew we were going to come out on the other side, and that we would come out an even stronger organization than we started the pandemic um, as, and and we were just dedicated the entire time to uh, you know providing continuity of care to the homeless animals in our charge, and also those who are patients of our veterinary hospital, and keeping our team and members of the public safe, and and not allowing what was a you know a, a public health crisis for people to turn into a, a crisis for, for animals. So those were our primary objectives and, and we stayed committed to those and have continued to stay committed to those things throughout. Yeah, and that's really amazing because when when humans face a public health crisis or any crisis, so often it does affect animals because mm-hmm. they depend on us and they're so integrated into our world that it can be a crisis for them very quickly. <laughs> yes, wow. absolutely. And we've seen that in all kinds of, you know, disasters, uh, natural yeah. disasters and, and other emergencies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So you guys were able over the course of the whole 18 months and, and, and counting to maintain your mission without any major interruption. Um, how did you manage that? What were some of the operational changes that you had to... Um, to put into place to make that happen? Oh gosh, so many. Yeah, just, uh, just a few. <laughs> right. Many. Yeah, I'll just hit some of the highlights. Um, it's probably, if I typed it up, it would be two or three pages. But yeah. um, I, yes, I, I remember very well that, um, you know, the, the COVID started impacting Central Virginia in March of 2020. And we had the dog jog and 5K run that we just were talking about. We had that scheduled for the end of March in 2020. And I think it was March 13th that Mayor Stoney in the city of Richmond announced that there would be no, you know, large public gatherings on account of COVID. And so we needed to immediately pivot. And I feel like that's a really overused word, especially during the pandemic, but I can't think of another one to use in its place. Um, but we quickly pivoted and we needed to turn an event that was going to be in person into one that would be virtual. And um, I think it was maybe March 17th was the only day that the Richmond SPCA, we closed our operation to kind of regroup and reimagine the way we were going to deliver our programs and services, both in the veterinary hospital and in the adoption center, um, you know, throughout the throughout the pandemic. And so we, you know, just a lot of talented folks on the staff, just everybody coming up with ideas. And we we were, we had a COVID planning committee and um, we were reviewing all of the available data and public health guidance. And we were making decisions about what programs and services we were going to be in a position to continue to offer. And there were very few that we suspended. And the ones that we suspended, we suspended for a very short period of time. And they didn't involve um, the the shelter operations um, or the public veterinary hospital. But we closed for one day, reimagined everything, and then we reopened to the public under those completely new terms and, and operating procedures. We did close down foot traffic into the center for 
quite a long while, but uh, we continued to deliver services in the veterinary hospital by uh, via curbside service and um, adoptions we continued to do, but we did them by appointment with all of the counseling occurring in advance over the phone or, or, or over Zoom. And then, you know, the adoption team would work with members of the public who were interested in adopting and they'd arrive at one or two pets that they might want to come into the center to visit with one-on-one and they'd set up those appointments. And I think the conversion rate for adoptions during that period was like 90% um, of folks who, you know, scheduled an appointment to come in and spend time with a pet ended up taking that same pet home. Um, But we put in place all kinds of engineering changes. You know, we had workstations that we created kind of out of thin air that appeared all over the building. We certainly were um, masking and imposing social distancing um, guidelines. We had team members who were teleworking, um, who were in a position to do that. But obviously, because most of our work here revolves around providing direct um, care to the animals or delivering programs and services to members of the um, the community. We had a, only a handful of folks who really were in a position to to telework, but um, you know, just did everything that we had to do, and were consistently consulting all the public available public health information. Um, and and I'm proud to say we in you know the pandemic continues to, to drag on, and we've never had somebody contract COVID uh, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing! And so is that one day turnaround. I mean. I guess a lot of us had to do that. I think I was at a faculty meeting uh, after school when they announced the two week, they had announced the two week closure for schools. And then we had a faculty meeting about that. And during that faculty meeting, the governor made the announcement um, that schools would close. Um, And I remember just, and that was it. Like the next day, everything was different. It was that crazy one day turnaround. uh, And it's sort of surreal thinking back on it. Now, and I remember really early on in the pandemic, I mentioned we had kind of this COVID response team um, on the staff. It was our chief operating officer and our um, director of human resources, our senior director of shelter ops and our chief of education and training. And, you know, we would just huddle up in the office and we'd work some nights till like nine or 10 o'clock, just reviewing kind of all the procedures and all the available guidance and making adjustments and you know, just doing everything in our power to make sure we could continue to deliver services and do it in a highly effective way because we knew the animals and the people in this community were counting us on us to do that. Yeah, that's um, exhausting, but fulfilling. But and necessary. I mean, yeah. it, you know, everything was just changing so quickly. Um, Every day. And we wanted to stay ahead of it as best we could. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that people were still adopting animals, and I've heard from multiple sources that uh, animal adoptions really skyrocketed during the pandemic because so many people were either working from home or lost their jobs. Um, have you guys seen an uptick in animals being brought back to shelters? No, we, we haven't. Um, we, we did see a spike in adoptions and, and that was a phenomenon that was being observed all over the country, not just mm-hmm. here in central Virginia. I feel like early on in the pandemic, maybe the first six weeks, our adoptions uh, increased by like 6% or 8% over 
the prior year. Um, and yes, you've heard a lot of people saying, oh, well, we're so concerned that, you know, this high rates of adoption will simply result in more pets being returned. And I'm delighted to report that that's not at all been the case. In fact, at the Richmond SPCA, our return rates have gone down during the wow. pandemic period, not up. Um, and, and I think that's a testament to, you know, really strong adoption counseling, making sure that that the matches are are the right one that we're meeting the expectations of the adopter and and the adopter um you know is is in a position to provide whatever care the specific pet that we're placing um needs and and i also think that during the pandemic you mentioned you know your pets were your constant companions at your your they they became your office yeah. pets by virtue of you having to work from home. And that's true of others. And I think that strengthened the bond that we have with our pets. And, you know, if pets were have behavioral challenges or other things, then you may have been more inclined to work through those and to seek out the resources that would help help you overcome those things. And those are things we would want people to do all of the time. And um and, and I and I think they were for that period, and I hope it 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 continues to motivate people to do that moving forward. Yeah, I, that's a really interesting insight that people being home would allow them more time and more resources in general to seek support that they might need to make something work that they may otherwise not have had the energy or time to invest in. Right. So the holidays are coming up. This episode mm-hmm. is set to air on December first. Um, do you have advice to give to people who are thinking of getting a pet as a gift for their families, for their children? I, I would say if you're if you're looking to to get a companion for your your own like nuclear household, I, I think the holidays are actually a wonderful time of year to be adding a companion to the family, and for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, I think when we're during the holiday season, we're all home from school and work a little bit more than we otherwise uh, might be. So we have more time to spend with a new companion that we may be introducing to the family. And that's good for their adjustment and for, you know, for hours too. Um, so I actually think it's a wonderful time for, for people to, to consider opening their hearts and homes to homeless animals. Sometimes you'll hear people discourage it and say, oh, that's terrible. And you know, pets adopted during the holidays are going to get returned. But similarly, there's no empirical data actually to support that. And um, we provide the same counseling to prospective adopters during the holiday season as we do at, at, at any other time of year. And I think people know when is the right time for for them to add a companion to their family. So I would encourage them to do it. Now, if you're looking to adopt a pet to surprise somebody else with, um, I probably would instead encourage you to to give them a gift card and and have them come to the Richmond SPCA and let them work directly with an adoption counselor to be sure that they're getting the pet that that kind of meets their needs and their lifestyle and 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 that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's definitely an important difference to recognize: is the pet for you and your family, or <laughs> right, or surprise the friend and just bring them to the Richmond SPCA and see if you can help them make a love connection if you know they're looking for for a companion. We certainly would be delighted for them to come here or to go to any um, shelter, whether that's a private shelter, or a public shelter, or a rescue group, um, to to find that companion that they that they want to love. That would be a fun Christmas surprise. 
I like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that reminds me actually of the, I thought it was a question that popped in and out, but it was actually, um, it was actually not really a question so much as a, a statement that the Richmond SPCA, in my experience, really does do a great job of supporting adopters. Um, just because there's so much programming offered there and the veterinary care that's available there. And then um, they checked in on us via email and phone a handful of times uh, to make sure things were going well and see if we had run into any hurdles or obstacles. And I, I, it was, it was very good. Um, I can see why the retention rates for the animals are so high. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. Yes, we, we have great programs of um, training, and I know you've taken training classes here at the Richmond SPCA, and um, yes, we have the Veterinary Hospital, the Susan and Martel Veterinary Hospital that provides, as I said, low-cost, full-service veterinary care to pets of low-income families, and um, and our counselors are, you know, ha happy to help answer any questions that folks have post-adoption. We have a free pet behavior helpline, so if you take a pet home in the adjustment period, you know, there are some, some challenges that present themselves well then we're delighted to help you work through those things. And we've got awesome trainers who can provide you with excellent expert advice and guidance. And, and we wanna do that because we want the transition to be as smooth, and as, smooth as possible and, and to support folks, not just immediately after the adoption, but you know, as, as long as they need us. And we hope that we can keep a good relationship for forever. Well, Tamsin, that brings us to the end of my questions. Um, was there anything I didn't hit on that you wanted to make sure we covered before our episode concludes? I would maybe say, since this is also airing in uh, December, as folks are considering adding companions to their family, um, I, I hope very much that they will visit the Richmond SPCA's website and familiarize themselves uh, with our puppy mill awareness campaign um, that was made possible by um, a very generous foundation. Uh, we have a campaign that's running November 15th through December 31st. It's a social media campaign that raises awareness and attention to um, the efforts of online puppy sellers, online sellers of, of puppies, many of whom, the overwhelming majority of whom are sourced from puppy mills. So folks just need to recognize if you're shopping for a pet and you're doing that online and you're not interacting with um, an animal welfare organization, then chances are you are interacting with a puppy mill who may be masquerading as something else. And it's important that you um, educate yourself about that and, and don't buy into the cruelty that, um, that is happening in those, in those puppy mills. And the uh, website where people can learn more about that, richmondspca.org? Yes, richmondspca.org, and then you can link to the Puppy Mill campaign. There's a landing page that helps you recognize kind of, you know, this what, this is what a website that's selling puppy source from puppy mills might look like and, and what would be important for you to know and, and recognize. And we would just encourage everyone, again, adopt, don't shop, visit visit an animal shelter because I promise you there there is a homeless dog or cat who is desperately waiting for you to visit them and, and I promise you'll fall in love you may you know need to visit a shelter more than once um, and so you need to be a little bit patient if there's something very specific um, that you are seeking but there are so many amazing homeless animals that are just you know so ready to to give and receive love and I hope everybody will give them that chance.
Yes. And also if people want to visit Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, if they go to the website um, associated with the podcast, you'll see Tamsin's photo there with Maggie and below it is uh, her bio. And there are links in the bio to the SPCA website, to their Facebook page, to their uh, Instagram and to their Twitter. So you can kind of find it all packaged up nicely um, on the website there. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful to you, Amanda, for all your wonderful support of the Richmond West PCA and Homeless in the Walls. Very grateful to you. Great organization. <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you so thank much you. for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much and happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You. If you like what you heard, please consider making a donation to support our podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash if she can do it. That's buymeacoffee.com backslash I-F-S-H-E-C-A-N-D-O-I-T-S. Your donation supports the uplifting and empowering content that we produce. If you know an amazing woman who you think we should feature on a future episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You, please shoot me an email at ifshecandoitsocanyou at gmail.com. I also invite you to check out our website, if she can do it, so can you, .wordpress.com, and pay us a visit on Instagram at if she can do it, so can you. Big thanks goes out to Brad Fire of Rad Fire Productions for editing this podcast. It would absolutely not be possible without his editing expertise. Another big thanks goes out to Ashley Unger, who produces all the artwork for this podcast. I look forward to seeing you on our next episode on the first of next month. And remember, if she can do it, so can you.